Welcome to the Rebel Alliance Media Podcast. As always, it's Pootie Tang and the Post Mill Pirate P-Nate in the studio bringing you gospel truth. How you doing today, Nate? I'm doing all right, and we are proud members of the Berean Media Network. Uh, for those of you who maybe aren't as familiar with the Berean Media Network, there are four podcasts. We push each other's content, we encourage one another, we support one another, and uh, we challenge one another. It's, it's actually really a competition on who can put out the best content. But they're our friends. It's the Layman's Cup podcast coming out on Mondays. It's the Front Pew podcast coming out later on on Mondays. Ourselves on Wednesdays and uh, the Two Thieves podcast on Thursdays. We love those guys. They're doing great work, uh, very gospel-centered. And uh, at the end of the day, um, we uh, we push each other's content because we think we're, we're all uh, putting out sound theological, um, gospel-centered uh, podcasts that will help encourage you and help you grow in your Christian faith. So what are you looking forward to, Pootie? <laughs> to be honest, I'm buzzing, man, right now. Everybody assumes that I'm I'm excited about Christmas coming out. I am in the fes- festive mood. I, ha- I have my tree up. I'm yeah. very excited no, about no, it. No, no, but we got something big between now and Christmas. Exactly. At the time of recording, we're slightly before Star Wars coming out. Yeah. And so, so you're hearing this after Star Wars has been released. Yes, so maybe but- some of you have seen it, hopefully. By the time you're listening to this, Chris and I will have seen it twice. <laughs> yes. But... As we're recording right now, we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm. My hands are shaking. I'm so excited. <laughs> like, is that? That's probably super bad that no, I'm no, no, this no, excited good, for it's it. Good. Um, but, so we've been trying over the last couple of uh, podcast episodes to encourage our listeners who might not care as much as we do about Star Wars to care about Star Wars. And uh, so we're going to talk directly to those people for a minute, and then we're going to talk directly to our nerdy followers uh, (laughs) shortly after that. So to our friends who do not necessarily love Star Wars as much as we do, here's two reasons. Poots, you go first. Why should our listeners who don't care as much about Star Wars care as much as we do about Star Wars? Chris, go. First and foremost, because it's it's a good movie. I know we've kind of laid out in previous episodes some of the reasons for it being a good movie for the family, but it's also got a good message. Now, you kind of have to look into it a little bit, but the, the message of Star Wars in its, in its essence is that good overcomes evil and that good will spread throughout the galaxy. And if we, I know we're, we're both big into it. One of the things that got us doing this podcast and we named it the Rebel Alliance is that we believe the gospel will spread and like a rebel force, like the rebellion in Star Wars, crush the evil empire. And take over the take over the galaxy, and and Star Wars is is that message in a nutshell. Good overcomes evil, and spreads. And I think that's one reason when you're watching the movie as a Christian, you can sit back and enjoy just wafted in that post mill beauty, right? <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'm going to go less spiritual, but I'm just going to say great characters. All right, so why should you care about Star Wars, even if you're not a big uh, science fiction fan, even if you're not into uh, things set in the future, even though it is set in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, you should care about the, you will care about the characters. They do a great job, especially some of the new ones like Rogue One um, specifically, and obviously the original trilogy. They make you love the characters and they do a great job at character development and uh, and just these these characters that are multifaceted and uh, it, it, they're good, good characters. So those are two reasons. Uh, talking directly to our non-Star Wars fans. But now we're going to talk for a second about the people who are as nerdy as we are. And we're going to theory spin for you, all right? So we are recording this, no joke, before Star Wars comes out. I say no joke because I feel like people are going to assume that it came out after because I think I'm right on my theories. 
We're just going to theory craft for a few seconds. We're dropping theories. Yep. Pooty, you, you give me what's your theory. Who's Snoke? Who are Ray's parents? Just give it to me. All right. Whatever no, you whatever you want. No problem. So I'm gonna go super nerd on you guys here. I think I think I've thought a lot about this with with the new Star Wars movies. I think there's three big questions okay. that have to be answered. Those three questions are: you've nailed on two of them. Who is Ray's parents? And so, it, by essence, who is Ray? Yep. That's one question. I think that's the third most important question, though. Yeah, there are more important. You're right. The second most important question is: why is Luke on that island, and why is he hiding? Luke is not a coward. We don't, nothing in the original trilogies leads us to believe Luke would run from a fight. Right. But Luke's in hiding when this right. movie starts. Why? I think that's a huge question that nobody really seems to be talking about. Yep. And the third and most, and I think which will be the most impactful question is who is Snoke? Snoke, if you haven't seen The Force Awakens, is the pantomime villain this time in the in the star wars trilogy if you haven't seen the movie what are you doing listening to us go stop go listen watch it Uh, but snoke i think is is that question of who he is and in my response what he is is really going to make that that theory so let me let me answer those three questions go for it how i think it's going so who ray's parents are for me i think i i'm in the i'm in the school of thought that Ray is a Palpatine. Okay. I think that when the when Vader threw at the Emperor Palpatine through the shaft, Death Star explodes, his body is, fi- is he's dead. He's found by somebody. I think that's going to be part of the the reveal. They take him, they use his genetics, they and they basically with another person create what becomes Ray. Almost like a clone. Almost. I don't think she's. I don't think she's a clone, but I think she's genetically a Palpatine. Okay. Almost in the idea of trying to create a super, a super being, which would explain a lot of things that we see in the trailers. I know there's a lot of videos online. I won't go into too much depth. She fights like Palpatine. She gets called to the dark side. Yep. And she she almost seems natural with the Force. Yep. And there's. I know the trailers have said things like, "Oh, she's." I've never seen this kind of power. Well, the Star Wars lineage, so linear so far, so far um, has us know that Palpatine and Luke are supposed to be the most powerful Alpha and the Omega in terms of the of the power. So Ray getting up to that level, she has to be somewhat related to the thing. And Star Wars, in essence, is the story of the Skywalkers, right? Yep. So I think there's something to go with that. That's who Ray is. Why Luke's hiding, I think, is the is tied to who Snoke is. Luke, I think, is in hiding simply because. He needs to find a solution to how to fight against Snoke. Let me explain that for you. So who Snoke to me is, I think Snoke is the dark side of the force. Blew your mind. I can see your face <laughs> blowing. He's not, a, he's not anything but an embodiment of the dark side. I think when Palpatine died and Vader flips back from evil to good and in essence brings balance to the force by destroying the imbalance of the force i think that awakens the dark side because i i think what they're going to try to do in these next movies is show that all good isn't isn't right and all bad isn't right they're trying to show a balance like you have to be there they're 
there has to be a yin and a yang, which isn't actually right. But I think that's how Star Not Wars is trying to be accurate. But Star Wars is heading that way. Okay. Exactly. That's what I think they're trying to do. And I think I think Snoke is the embodiment of the bad side. That's my that's my theories that I'm going all into right, the movies right. with. What's yours? Hit me. Okay, so I'm going to answer the same questions because I think you've rightly identified what the the big uh, the big questions are. So I think I'm with you. I think that Ray is a Palpatine. You and I have talked about this. That was Damn. an early theory of mine. I don't think she was uh, made from his DNA, though. I think she's a natural. I think you know it's not hard to imagine that Palpatine, either as Palpatine or as Sidious, at some point has had a child. I don't think that's a stretch. So I think that he had a child. Um, and I think that um, the reason that Ray uh, was hidden essentially was that because she was captured from either from Palpatine, right? And I think they might even do like a um, kind of like a Rogue One sort of thing. Like there were these unsung heroes who who stole the child and, and hid her so that you know Palpatine couldn't raise her uh, his own daughter kind of thing. So I think she was put into hiding knowing that she is a Palpatine and has great capacity for the Force and likely the dark side because she's uh, from from him. So I think that's who Rey is. I think I like the it. reason Luke is in hiding is because... Um, okay, so I think that Snoke is an ancient Sith. I don't think he's in the embodiment of the dark side or anything. I think he's an ancient Sith who will find out long, long ago, like maybe even going back to the Old Republic, was trapped trapped whether it's in a you know uh an uh an artifact we've seen that happen in in star wars canon or or in a, a tomb or, or something that he was somehow trapped by jedis of the old republic and that he was somehow awoken um i i think that i think that palpatine sensed his his uh presence i think there's some some books that are canon now uh that talk about uh sidious meditating underneath the Jedi Temple on Coruscant and, and feeling this presence. And so I think uh, I think uh, Snoke is a ancient Sith who preys on the life force of other Force users. So I think the reason that, that Luke is hiding is because I think that Snoke's power is directly related to the Force that he sucks out of victims. So I think that because Luke knows how powerful he is in the Force, that he goes into hiding knowing that Snoke is coming and knowing that if Snoke absorbs Luke's life force that he'll become too powerful to destroy. Interesting. So we both agree Luke isn't hiding, he's searching. Right. So he's trying to figure out hid how, himself yeah, I to find that. greater knowledge at the original Jedi Temple. That makes sense. Yeah. We both think Rey is a Palpatine. We just differ slightly on who Snoke is in terms of like I say he's the embodiment of the dark side, you say he's an ancient dark side user. Yeah. I think I, I think we're gonna be very excited to see. I think here's the other thing. I happens. think that they're going to. I think that this ep, this episode, right? This this uh, the last Jedi. I think it's gonna be super dark, right? I think it's gonna have almost like a an Empire Strikes Back kind of ending. And then on top of that, the other thing I think that we're gonna see is I think we're gonna see Kylo Ren continue to be wooed by the light side and Rey uh, be tempted by the dark side. And I think eventually you're going to see a reversal of their roles. I think Rey will ultimately become the bad guy of this trilogy and Kylo Ren ultimately the good guy. I think you're gonna see that. Um, but either way, I think they're definitely gonna play on the whole, 
you know, am I really who I, uh, you know, am I, am I part of my parents, right? Kylo born to Leia and Han, good guys, but he wants to be a bad guy. You know, do I have to be who my parents made me to be? Same with Ray, mm. that she's going to struggle. I'm good, but I come from this, this dark evil. So I think you're going to see a lot of that going back and forth. I just think eventually they're going to switch roles. So that's, that's your big prediction for this trilogy. Maybe not this movie, but the trilogy. Right. Mine, mine for this movie specifically, I think Luke's going to die. So I think Whoa. we, I think we know Leia, yep. unfortunately yep. is going to have to. Yeah. But I, I, th- I think this movie, I think the big climactic like, oh, I can't believe that happened, is I think Luke Skywalker is going to die at the end of this All one. All right. Well, there and you I, go. And I, seemed, I sort of think Ray's going to be the one to kill him. I think I think I think you're right in the flip. I I do I do I don't think they would show us that Kylo tempted by the light, Ray tempted by the dark. If that wasn't gonna flip, right? Or they weren't gonna cr- weave and cross over. And I think what's gonna happen is that Kylo can't beat. I don't know how this works out, but Kylo can't beat Luke, and he, Luke is about to put down Kylo, just like Vader, Luke, uh, the Emperor was about to put down Luke. And I think. Almost in a reversal and, of Vader. And how uh, uh, Windu is about to put down Palpatine. Yeah. And oh, that's a, I didn't oh, even yeah, think yeah, of that one. Yeah. Um, I think that's yeah, going like to be a it, nice like little like flip. It. And I think I think that's how the third movie is going to start with now the Empire is now, be- like the First Order is now back to prominence because Rey and Snoke are together. Right. The two most powerful. Luke is gone and it's up to Kylo because I think, I think you're right. I think Kylo... Is the hero of the story, so that'll be great. Right, let's so there I you hope go. Let's, see, right. let's see how accurate we were. So there's our there's our Star Wars nerding out for a bit, um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and what we what we all right. So let's get on track here. Let's talk about something that uh, that matters theologically. Star Wars does matter, um, but uh, again, another uh, kind of a light episode here. Um, but we just we want to talk about Christmas. I'm going to talk about Christmas for a couple of reasons. Number one, Christmas is in five days. And once you see Star Wars, that's the next thing you're looking forward to. Yeah. Number two, we want to talk about Christmas because um, I think Christmas is uber important. And I think that Christmas ought to be celebrated by Christians. But uh, I'm seeing kind of a growing trend in churches and online uh, about people uh, kind of humbugging Christmas. And it comes from two different things. It comes from some of the Reformed community. Uh, who kind of hold to the Puritan view of of withdraw from Christmas, right? The, a lot of the Puritans did not celebrate Christmas, um, or it comes from kind of I'll say that the I don't want to say the tinfoil hat community because that sounds bad, but like no, but we just but, offended like a whole bunch of people. Yeah, I fun. just offended everybody. Um, but uh, also that side that community who tends to like look at the the you know the pagan roots of Christmas and and those same people who are always against you know, Halloween and trick-or-treating and that sort of thing is is that, that Christian community that really pays attention to where things come from and the roots of things and uh, and not wanting to celebrate Christmas because of all the pagan roots of it. So we want to address this and we want to say, so that here, spoiler alert, the, the rebels stand on the side of, we think Christians should celebrate Christmas to a greater extent than anyone. We think Christmas is, is super important and that Chris, Christians should go all out and celebrate it full throttle. One hundred percent. Right up front, I think it's important for us to know what we're what we're celebrating at Christmas. We're celebrating obviously what Christ has done for us, His coming, the, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies in the birth of the Messiah, and what He's done and where He's going. I think I think Christmas is a perfect opportunity for us to. One, just celebrate Jesus, which we should be doing more often. We should have Christmas every day. But 
also gives us an opportunity to proclaim that message to everyone publicly. Right. And in a, you know, in a way that people aren't going to be offended if you say it's the birth of the birth of Jesus, like unlike they would be most times, uh, other time, other times of the year. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think that maybe we just take this for granted. Maybe we, we don't notice this, but every other time of year, if you talk about Jesus, if you talk about Christ, if you talk about God, if you talk about the Bible, oftentimes you're you're scolded or you're mocked or you're uh, just straight up asked not to share your views, right? And so Christmas time is the time when your completely pagan neighbor, right, your completely unregenerate atheistic neighbor is not going to balk at the idea of getting a card that's about Jesus Christ because it's Christmas. It's a time of year where you're driving in your car and you're tuned into a secular radio station or you're in the mall and you're shopping and the, the music coming through the mall speakers declare the lordship of Jesus, declare the deity of Jesus, declare the forgiveness of sins. When, uh, when else in the year do we have that? So I, I think that number I think one of the things one of the reasons Christians should celebrate Christmas so robustly, if I can use that word, is because it kind of Christmas marks on the calendar an instance of Christian victory. I think I think we've won this battle. I think Christians are our forebears. I think they fought culturally, and Christ can be talked about and sung about and expressed and in cards and all that kind of stuff at Christmas time because we've won the battle for Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus. If Charlie Brown knows it, <laughs> then your average person knows it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying everybody knows the gospel and knows everything about Jesus, but they understand that there's some sort of connection there, and they they might not understand the words that they're singing because they're singing them with an unregenerate heart, but they know the songs and truth is getting in there. And and I, I absolutely firmly believe that uh, the Holy Spirit is able to do things through that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I totally agree. I one of the big pushbacks we we get, and we do have some some friends who who are on the let's not celebrate Christian, uh, Christmas because it comes from a pagan holiday. It comes from right. these things, and I think we're big proponents. We've had podcasts about the fact that language matters; these things matter. So the reason I bring that up is because language does matter, and Christmas, like you're saying, has is one of the examples of things we of something we have reclaimed. So yes, the word comes from a different different root. It might have meant it might have originally been a celebration at a different time, but Christianity has taken this holiday and made it a Christian holiday, a celebrative a celebration of Christian victory. That's a that's a picture of how this is supposed to work. Us putting everything under the heel of Christ as King, just like we've put Christians Christmas sorry under the heel of Christ. And let's be honest, if you asked hundred people what the meaning of Christmas is. Are they going to give you a great, great definition? Probably not, but they know it's a Christian holiday, which means that yes, even though the original language meant something different, it no longer means what it used to mean. We've taken, we've reclaimed it. And that means we should be making a bigger deal about it. So let's just address some of those concerns, right? So some of those concerns are, let's just answer some of the, the, the usual um, pushback we would get. First of all, Chris, December 25th isn't really Jesus' birthday. Oh. So, what do, what would we say to that? Well, first off, I would I would say, prove it. <laughs> yeah, good point. So, I, w- I would just be like, okay, well, 
You're probably right. Yep. I know there are there are things that kind of allude to the fact that it might have been in like March, April type time. Yep. But let's be honest that we don't have anything in the Bible, which we would be say, which we would say is the only thing that's the standard of truth, yep. authoritative. That indicates that it wasn't at, at Christmas time. But also, I would I would argue that it doesn't matter. Um, if we if we look into just some principles about celebrating a day, Romans fourteen says one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the days observes it to the Lord, and who does not observe the day to the Lord does not observe it. He who eats eats the Lord. He who gives God thanks. He who does not eat the Lord. That's the end of the verse, basically. The principle there is that we're celebrating the day. We, as a, as a believing body, are choosing to celebrate Christ's birth on this day. It doesn't actually matter if, we are, if we're on the right day, because we're, that's the day we're esteeming to hold to being the birth of Christ. Let's, let's be honest. We're not going to change the date of Christmas now. That battle, that ship has sailed. Right. This is the day we're, we're celebrating, and it's not disingenuous if we don't know the actual day. In my opinion. Yeah, and we don't know the actual day, so that's the point, right? If exactly. we don't know the day, um, let's pick a day because this is something that we ought to celebrate. <clears throat> we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, one of the other things that people often say is, well, the winter solstice, right, December 21st, was a pagan holiday. I know. And, uh, and, and people used to decorate, the, they'll say, they used to bring um, evergreen trees into their home to, to pay homage to the fertility goddesses. There's some truth in that, but not complete truth in that. Number one, they didn't bring in evergreen trees into their home. They brought in evergreen branches, and the evergreen branches were to remind them of the, the pagan you know, uh, fertility goddesses and, and such. But that's not hard for us to look at that symbol, the evergreen, right? A tree that, that uh, is always alive and see the Christian symbol there, right? It's not hard for us to look at that and say, you know what? The cross was something that Josephus actually tells us was such a dishonoring way to die, such a horrible way to die, that, that good law-abiding citizens shouldn't even talk about the cross, that polite people don't talk about the cross. Hmm. And yet, as Christians, we wear that symbol around our neck. Why? Because it doesn't mean torture and death to us. It means forgiveness of sins and what Christ accomplished on the cross. So symbols can change their meaning or symbols can mean something to different people and to us as christians an evergreen tree doesn't remind us of fertility goddesses an evergreen tree reminds us of the everlasting life that's promised through jesus christ absolutely so there's also there there'd be some people who would look at jeremiah 10 uh, that talks about um, cutting down a tree and decorating it with silver and gold and how that's idolatry and I would just say to that verse, or that person, I would just say, well, read that verse in context. What, what are they talking about? It's not, it's not the tree being in the house that is a sin in this context. It's the idolatry of, of the person cutting down a tree and then worshiping it, right? Like that's, it's, it's highlighting the idiocy of idolatry, the fact that you're worshiping an inanimate object. So again, we bring these trees into our home. To us, they symbolize the everlasting life that's in Christ Jesus, and we decorate them with things. And I would say to, to the Christians listening to this, decorate them with things that you can answer why you're decorating them. Why do we put a star on the top? Well, because the Magi followed uh, the star to Jesus. Why do we put uh, the color red on there? Well, because red reminds us of Christ's shed blood. 
Why do we put gold on our trees? Well, because gold reminds us of his divinity. Why do we put the color white on there? Because Jesus' blood, symbolized in the red, washes us white as snow. So there, there's symbols to these things that, as Christians, there's meaning to these things. And if that's what we're teaching our children, if that's what we're focusing on, then it works as a way of, uh, of uh, sanctifying us and discipling our children. And if we just eradicate these things, then we don't have those visual reminders and those visual teaching points for our, our families. Not to be super critical or anything, but if you're, if you're putting up a tree and you're worshiping it, I've never been in a home of non-believers, people who celebrate Christmas or don't celebrate, who are actually bowing like and worshiping the Christmas tree. I've never, I've never experienced this. Right. So why are we so concerned? Like it, nobody, like we put up pictures on the wall. You don't, you're not worshiping the pictures on the wall. Right. Putting up a Christmas tree is a decoration. You know I mean, it's, it, yes, it, it can point us to things. It can be a, it can be symbols. There are reasons behind why certain things are on the Christmas tree. Like Nate just said, you're not bowing before the Christmas tree in adoration and thinking you're proclaiming this Christmas tree to be your salvation. Why is putting up a wooden God such an offense to God? Is saying that this piece of wood can save you. Nobody's right. saying this Christmas tree is my salvation. Right. You know what I mean, now if you're doing that, if if your experience is that that's how your parents <laughs> rolled when you were a kid, absolutely abstain from a Christmas tree. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna eat your lunch for that, but. I've never seen that, and I've never actually realistically think anybody who's putting up a Christmas tree is thinking, this Christmas tree is my salvation. Right. I mean, you can go through and you can read the history you want for confirmation bias, but here's a couple other things. So why do we put lights on the outside of our house? This is what I'm going to teach my children. I put lights outside our house because Jesus is the light of the world. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, and so we put lights on that turn on at night so that there's light shining in darkness. And that's exactly what John 1 tells us happened when Jesus uh, came and was incarnated as a human. Um, why do we put wreaths up? My wife is big on wreaths. I don't know. She, she needs a new one for the front door every single year. But why do we do that? Again, it's, it's made in a circle, right? Again, symbolizing everlasting life. So there's all kinds of these symbols that if, if we teach them to our families and we, and we think about them in a particular way, they can actually expand our heart's capacity to appreciate what Christmas is all about. And so that leads us to the big, I think, what would be the big idea. Why should Christians celebrate Christmas so passionately? Because the incarnation is something that's worth celebrating. The incarnation is incredible. In fact, I would go so far as to say that the incarnation is the most amazing miracle that God has ever performed. Um, here's two people who agree with me. So Wayne Grudem, uh, for those of you who are listening, Wayne Grudem uh, wrote a systematic theology that was very influential for me. It was the first systematics that I, I went through. Wayne Grudem says, the incarnation is by far the most amazing miracle in the entire Bible, far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. The fact that an infinite omnipotent, eternal Son of God could become a man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. So, so Grudem is essentially telling us that the most amazing thing God has ever done is the incarnation. The author of the story stepping into his story is likely the uh, is is according to Wayne Grudem, and I would agree with him, the most incredible miracle ever performed. Here's another one by C.S. Lewis essentially saying the same thing. He says, 
The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. Every other miracle prepares for this or exhibits this or results from this. Just as every natural event is the manifestation at a particular place and moment of nature's total character, so every particular Christian miracle manifests at a particular place and moment in the character and significance of the incarnation. There is no question in Christianity of arbitrary interferences just scattered about. It relates not a series of disconnected raids on nature, but the various steps of a strategically coherent invasion, an invasion which intends complete conquest and occupation. C.S. Lewis going post-mill on you, Pudi. <laughs> the fitness and therefore credibility of the particular miracles depends on their relation to the grand miracle. All discussion of them in isolation from it is, fu- is futile. So C.S. Lewis is essentially saying the reason the, the uh, incarnation is so incredible is because every other miracle that God performs is either uh, prepares for that, exhibits it, or results from it. And the, the end goal of God in the incarnation is total conquest of the physical world. Amen, C.S. Lewis. Amen. Yeah, he's, he's coming out strong there. <laughs> coming on strong. So, um, so the reason we think that Christians should be so um, enthusiastic in our celebration of Christmas is because the incarnation is so worth celebrating. Yeah, that gives us a reason to be joyful, to be absolutely happy, to be celebrating, to worship immensely in this in this in this situation. And that's what and that's what we're doing at Christmas. We're yeah. celebrating. It's a celebration. Um, I'm not one of those people who think we should sing happy birthday to, to Jesus or anything <laughs> yeah, like that. we don't but do that. We don't necessarily need to, but we're, we're worshiping him for, like, like Wayne Grudem said, the biggest miracle he ever, he ever did, entering the story himself. Yeah. And what we're doing is we're, we're worshiping him just like the shepherds did, just like wise men who brought him gifts. We're doing the same thing at Christmas. That's just the day we've, we've chosen to do it, to adore him and celebrate with our brothers and sisters the the incarnation of the of our of our god this is an unbelievable time of the year, a year for us to do that yeah i totally agree and i think that for us as christians it's not just the you know the incarnation seems like a daunting thing it's hard to wrap our minds around the idea that god became a man that that he joined his divine nature human nature all in one it's it's it is a bit mind boggling so sometimes instead what I'll say to people is instead of focusing on the nuances of how that worked, which can be a bit daunting for some of us, look at the reasons why it had to be that way. So the fact that God became a man is incredible, not just because it's, it's mind-boggling to think of how God could enter the story that he created, enter the creation that um, he did, but the fact that he became man, well, why? Why did he become a man? Because man owed God the debt for sin. He had to be a man because he had to be one of us in order to take our place. So he had to pay the debt that man owed as a man. He had to be. He had to be the next Adam. He had to be the last Adam because the first Adam brought sin and death into the world. So it had to be another man who brought sin and death out of the world or conquered sin and death. And so he had to be one of us in order to pay that debt. So the incarnation is incredible, not just because it's mind-boggling, it's hard to wrap our minds around, but it's, it's incredible because it's what helps accomplish our salvation. If God did not become a man, he could not have paid the sin debt that man owed. So that's why it's worth celebrating, because it's actually at the very heart of the gospel. 
Absolutely. If you're wondering, like, what does this really matter? Like, why do you need to be listening to this, go forward with this? I think it's important for us to understand why we celebrate Christmas, because the truth is there are people in the world who the holidays are a tough time for. For sure. Yeah. This is a, this is a time of year that for one reason or another makes people focus on the big questions. Why are we doing what we're doing right now? What does the future look like? Where am I going with my life? All those things that the holidays seem to spark. Well, and I think that's partially because we mark our lives by big events that go by, right? Like Absolutely. every every birthday marks another year on the calendar. Every Christmas marks time passing, right? And so you think about the Christmases. Oh, that Christmas was X number of years ago. Oh, that Christmas was the time when this happened. So we, we measure time by big events. Absolutely, right? We... we like and it's coupled in there with New Year's and like a new a new beginning every year, um, so I think I think it's important for Christians to understand why we're so passionate about celebrating this day, because the people who we we bump into in this podcast is about helping those people understand and engage the world with a biblical worldview, you engaging your culture. Once you understand why we celebrate Christmas the way we way we do and ought to, it gives you an opportunity to help other people through these through these difficult times see why we celebrate so passionately and like you said at the beginning why we should be celebrating so much more robustly than everyone else at this time right. of year yeah. and and differently yeah well and that's the thing so there like you said there are a lot of people who christmas is hard because they've lost loved ones or because family relationships are strained or because finances are strained and they can't you know provide the christmas that they want like there's all kinds of reasons that would complicate the the holidays for people but I would just say that Christian celebration is always in spite of circumstances, right? It's not because of circumstances. Um, ultimately, it's because of position. What are we celebrating? The position we have before God, the eternal life we have in Christ. Those are the things that we are celebrating. And if at Christmas, we keep Christ at the center and we can celebrate those things. Some of us think, well, we can't celebrate because, you know, my kids don't come home for the holidays anymore. I can't celebrate because, you know, this is the time of year that I lost my dad. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not I'm not at all minimizing that pain, but what I'm saying is that you know the Apostle Paul said that we are uh, we are pushed down but always rejoicing, right? And and so the idea there is as Christians is we are rejoicing in what's ultimate, not what's temporary. Absolutely. And ultimately, Jesus Christ became a man, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas forever, right? He took on human nature forever, and that's what we're celebrating. So when we go to heaven. Flesh and blood is there to greet us in the person of Jesus because he is one of us forever. And that's an amazing thing. So that's what we celebrate despite circumstances, despite whatever other uh, nuanced emotions the holidays bring up. That's that's what we're celebrating. And so uh, we, can, we can be full of joy. We can be full of merriment. We can be full of all these, um, these things because what we're celebrating is unchanging and it's eternal. And I think... Um, one of the other things that C.S. Lewis said was essentially that, you know, of all the creatures in the world, human beings were the only ones that were given the gift of laughter, right? In, in Scripture, you think of Psalm 2 or other Psalms, uh, times in Isaiah, when God is described as laughing. That's part of being made in the image of God. Human beings can laugh. We can joke. There's no other. Angels don't laugh. Animals don't laugh. Lesser beings don't laugh. God laughs and humans laugh. And so he's given us this gift of joy and 
Uh, I know our producer Dave would love for me to say he got laughed at recently by a, a parrot of some kind. But that was mimicking laughter, right? <laughs> right, Pooty? That's not real It's not laughter. belly laughter. Yeah, it's not belly laughter. But uh, so God has given us this gift. And, and so here's the thing. If at the end of time, what happens in eternity is described in the Bible as a wedding feast, right? Full of joy, full of merriment, full of all those things, then we ought to be um, participating in dress rehearsals here. We ought to be celebrating here, right? It, there's no point. Christ is going to win the whole thing. And if, and if we just become kind of joyless, you know, task-oriented, um, you know, uh, stoic Christians here and now, then we won't know what to do when it's time to celebrate. Yeah, we're here. Yes, we're fighting. Yes, we're involved in the mission of God. Yes, we're sacrificing all those things. But along the way, we, we celebrate joyfully. We laugh. We feast. We eat. We make jokes, all those things, because we're ultimately looking forward to that's what eternity is going to be. It's going to be celebration because we are with the bridegroom. And so we have to learn how to do that now. Otherwise, we won't know what to do when we get there. Absolutely. It's not all fighting. It's it's feasting and laughing along the way. Yeah, and there's there's some simple ways to, to learn as a Christian how to do that. For sure. Understand that it's not about the gifts. It's not about consumerism. It's about yes, absolutely, hundred percent. Your heart condition of generosity. You know yes. I mean, like once we learn that we display proper celebration of Christmas by being generous people to the world, like Christ was generous to us. Right. That's, and that, that's exactly right. Right. The the verse we all know, John three sixteen. For God so loved, He gave. Right. So the um, giving of Christ is God's generosity to us. And and you can teach this to your kids too. This is why we give each other gifts because at Christmas time, God gave us the greatest gift by becoming one of us so that he could pay our debt, right? So yeah, absolutely. So um, keep yourself from getting caught up in the consumerism and the materialism of the, of the, of the season for sure. Yeah, I agree. Another, another way, celebrate with your friends, celebrate with your family, celebrate with your church family. Yep. We're a community of believers celebrating the greatest miracle of all time. Yep. Celebrate it with people. Make a big deal about it. Yep. Regardless, like you said earlier, regardless of your circumstances. If all the gospel that we ever proclaim to people is that he's going to give you everything you want, that there is no suffering, then the gospel that we are, are proclaiming isn't one that the Bible proclaims. It's not everybody would take a gospel if it was you'll get wealth, you'll get health, and you'll get prosperity. The, what marks real Christian celebration, real Christian joy is when we celebrate regardless of our circumstances, when we celebrate through our suffering, where we still desire Christ, even though what is happening in our world and to us even isn't, isn't great. And we still think it's Christ is more and, and greater than everything that comes to me because we have put our trust in the eternal, not the temporal. Yep. Amen. And, and I would, I would, the last thing I would kind of say, just say is don't let this time go by. Don't let this, um, this season go by. Like I said, there are joy to the world is playing in the mall. Joy to the world is playing on the radio. Don't let those opportunities go by. If you have unsaved friends and family members that you find who are singing Christmas carols or humming Christmas carols, use that as a conversation starter, right? 
ask them about the lyrics that they're singing. Do they understand them? Or, or just say, what does that mean to you since you don't believe this stuff? Do you just like the tune? Just get into those kinds of conversations. When you watch, you know, when you watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special, <laughs> as everyone should over the holidays, and, and he says, you know, tells the story of Jesus and, and gives the nativity narrative and then says, that's what Christmas is all about. Um, you know, ask about that. Use that to teach your kids. Use that to interact with your family. Use that to interact with your friends. Don't let this time of year go by because this is marking Christian victory on the calendar. And um, we ought to be basking in that victory and continuing to fight for that victory because we are fighting consumerism. We are fighting, um, you know, the uh, the elevation of Santa over over Jesus, right? And so we do have to combat those things at times. Um, hmm. So don't let don't let the season go by without keeping Christ at the center. Yeah, exactly. And t- and take advantage of the opportunity because we we know this in in church, right? Christmas, Easter, people are going to come to the services, to these events because of tradition. They will come in these situations because people are a little bit more open this time of year because of the circumstances and the time of year. They're, they're more open to hear what we have to say in this in, in the gospel and we're able to proclaim it. Take advantage of those situations. I mean, if you're listening to this and you're involved in your Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve service or anything like that, proclaim the truth. Tell the people of the message because people are coming to hear why we are celebrating the way we are. Enjoy Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas Merry from Christmas. the Rebels. Feel, feel, we can say Merry Christmas, right? Of course. Keep keep saying Merry Christmas too. That's a that's a very quick, small way to like rebel against <laughs> against the happy what, holidays, uh, politically correct agenda. Exactly. Just keep saying Merry Christmas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it is a Merry Christmas. There's a reason it's a Merry Christmas. Just keep saying it. Yeah. So Merry Christmas from uh, the Rebels, uh, and we will see you again next week. We hope you have a wonderful time celebrating with you and yours. Absolutely. Keep Christ to the center. You've been listening to the Rebel Alliance podcast, where we equip you to engage culture through a biblical worldview. Please take the time to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, write a review, and leave a five-star rating. If you would like to see all of our content, which includes podcast episodes uploaded to iTunes each Wednesday, and short videos about engaging culture released on Facebook each Friday, please visit us online at rebelalliancemedia.com. We love hearing from you, so if you have questions, comments, or would like to suggest episode topics, send us a message on Facebook or email us at info at rebelalliancemedia.com. Thanks for joining us, and you may now consider yourself part of the rebellion.